Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all the many ways that you bless us. And Father, we thank you for new life, how it brings energy to us and reminds us, Father, that you are the God of all creation. And Father, you are the God who sustains. And Father, you bring new life into this world over and over again. And Father, we give you credit. We give you glory. We give you praise for that. Father, we are in the midst of a sermon series that's a, a difficult subject. And just pray, Father, that you will, you will guide us, that you will watch over us. Father, that you will help us to, to be people who truly hear your will for us and whatever imperfect words that I might say this morning. And Father, we pray this through Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So last Sunday, we did begin a nine-part sermon series, and we're calling that sermon series On Target. We're talking about sexual relationships God's way. And obviously, as I referenced in the prayer, this is a challenging topic for us to approach as a church family. It's a challenging topic because it's an emotional topic. And it's a challenging topic because it's a personal and it's a traditionally private topic. It's a challenging topic because we come together as a church family with a wide variety of experiences related to sex and related to sexuality. And we come together as a church family with a wide variety of opinions about how this subject in general and sexual sin in particular should be dealt with within the church. And we also come together as a church family with a wide variety of opinions about how the church and how individual Christians should respond to sex and sexuality in general and sexual sin in particular with those who are outside the church. So believe me, I am well aware of the challenges facing us, and I am well aware that the variety of opinions that are represented within our church family means that there are also a great variety of expectations, expectations about what should be and what shouldn't be said on this particular topic from this pulpit. So I have known from the very first time that we talked about preaching on this subject. And I am acutely aware right now that I am stepping into a challenging task. And I'm also acutely aware that I'm asking you to join me in a challenging task. This isn't easy for any of us. So as we move through this series... Unlike anything else that we have done together, I know that there isn't a single target that I can aim for or that I can hit that's going to please all of us, or maybe even most of us. I know that for some of us, what I say is going to be too explicit, and I know for some of us, what I say is going to not be explicit enough. I know that for some of us, my approach will be too sensitive And for others of us, it won't be sensitive enough. I know that for some of us, my outlook will be too compassionate. And for others of us, it won't be compassionate enough. I know that for some of us, my words will be too bold. And I know for others of us, my words won't be bold enough. And I know that when everything is said and done, I will have spoken about some things that some of us think I shouldn't have spoken about. And I also know that when everything is said and done, I won't have spoken about some other things that many of us think I should have. And you know what? 
probably all those things are true. I mean, I almost certainly won't always be able to strike the right balance in explicitness or sensitivity or compassion or boldness or subject matter. And I almost certainly won't be able to always strike that correct balance because honestly, I don't think that I or anyone else knows exactly where that balance lies. And I also know that in light of all of these challenges that are related to this particular topic, the easy thing for us to do as a church would be to do what the church usually does, what they usually do when they're faced with difficult topics where there are a variety of opinions and a variety of expectations. What the church usually does is the church does nothing. But like in most cases, the easy way of dealing with this subject is the wrong way of dealing with this subject. And I want you to know that we, the elders and the ministers of Netherwood Park, I want you to know that we are confident not only that we should be having this conversation about sex and sexuality, but that we can have this conversation And I want you to know that we are confident, we are confident that we can have this conversation because we have a great deal of faith and we have a great deal of trust. We have a great deal of faith and a great deal of trust that the Holy Spirit will work through my imperfect words and work through my imperfect presentation to reveal God's truth and to reveal God's will for his children who hear these words. And we as a leadership have faith And trust that the Holy Spirit that lives in each one of us, each Christian here, is going to work in the lives of each of us to prepare us to hear the words that we need to hear. And to reveal God's truth and God's will that can be found in those words. And we have faith and we have trust that each Christian here has a deep love for God. And has a deep love for his word. And has a strong desire to know his truth and to do his will. So we have faith and trust that we will hear God's truth. And that that truth will lead us to do his will. We also have faith and we also have trust that the spirit of unity that dwells in this place will lead all of us to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And we have faith and we have trust that we all understand that this series isn't the be-all and it isn't the end-all on this subject. We have faith and trust that we all understand that this series isn't the final word on sex and sexuality. Far from it. We know it's just the beginning of a conversation. The beginning of a conversation that's long overdue. And finally, we have faith and we have trust that God and his spirit will provide wisdom and discernment. Provide us with the wisdom and discernment we need to adapt and adjust as we move through this conversation. Much like I have adjusted and adapted by starting today with some 900 words that I had no plan of speaking just a week ago. But words that I think need to be said. See, these challenges and these variety of experiences and these variety of opinions that we bring to this subject make it extremely important that we carefully lay the foundation for this conversation. And that's why last week we started out by talking about targets. 
because it's really important that all of us understand and agree that there is a target, that there are standards, that there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. It's important that we all understand and that we all agree that we aren't free to simply follow our hearts wherever our hearts might take us. And if our desire, if our heart's desire is to please our God with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our souls and all of our strength, what we're going to do is we're going to aim at at God's target. Because our desire is to please our God. And that will lead us to follow his commands and that will lead us to do his will. That will be our focus. That will be our aim. Because our only desire is to please our God. But we also talked about this other target over here. See, if our desire is to please ourselves, we're going to end up aiming at that different target. We call that the me, myself, and I target. And with this target, there is no intention of doing anything but pleasing myself. So it isn't at all surprising that actions and behaviors land nowhere near God's target. Paul probably would have called this the pagan target. And just like it didn't shock Paul, it shouldn't shock us when pagans hit the target that they're aiming at. That's what they intended to do all along. So those two targets are pretty easy for us to identify, and we can differentiate between those two targets. But if you were here last week, you'll remember that we introduced a third target. A third target that I'm afraid is extremely common in the church, and I know is extremely dangerous among those who claim to follow God. We call this the moving target. It's the target where we aim to please ourselves, And we hit the target that we aim at. But then after we do that, we move God's target. We try to make it appear that we have actually hit God's target. See, rather than admitting that we were aiming at the wrong target all along, we instead try to move God's target where it was never intended to be. So we put this target over where we aimed and over where we hit to try to make it look like it was God's target. And it's extremely common, and it's extremely dangerous among those who claim to follow God. See, what we do is we conform our behavior. We adapt our behavior to the standards of the world that's around us. And then we try to conform God's word to our behavior, and that's a dangerous thing to do. It's a problem. See, it's a problem because we were never called to conform. As Christians, we were never called to blend in. We were never called to adapt to the world around us. No, as servants of Jesus Christ, we've been called. We've been called to be transformed, not conformed. We've been called to be changed. We've been called to be dramatically altered into the image of Jesus Christ. And when that transformation occurs, it leads us to God's target. Paul expressed it this way in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Paul wrote, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, only then, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the question for us as slaves of Jesus Christ, when it comes to sex and when it comes to sexuality, are we going to choose to blend in and adapt to the world around us? Or are we going to give ourselves over to God to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ? So we all need to understand that that is a transformation process. And if that transformation process, if our transformation path doesn't include self-sacrifice, if it doesn't include self-denial, if it doesn't include dying to ourselves, that path can't be trusted. It can't be trusted because we aren't being transformed. We aren't being transformed if there's no self-sacrifice, if there's no self-denial, if there is no dying to self. And I don't want to give the impression that that transformation is simple or that it's easy or that it's painless or that it comes without any kind of struggle. No transformation, dramatic change, self-denial, death to self. That's all a struggle and that's all painful. And it can't be done under our own power. We simply aren't strong enough. See, conforming, conforming's easy. We do that all the time, and we don't find that to be a particular struggle. Conforming is easy, but transformation, that's a different story. Throughout the 7th and 8th chapters of Romans, Paul talks about that difficulty. He talks about that struggle. He talks about that pain. He talks about how hard that transformation struggle is. And, and then he asks, and then he answers a really important question, a key question for us. We don't have time to read all of that that's in those chapters, but let's read part of it. We'll start in Romans 7 and verse 18. Paul writes this. He said, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, it's the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. And here's the question. Paul says, who will rescue me from this body of death? And here's the answer. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus, our Lord. He's the one who rescues us from this body of death. Who rescues us? Who transforms us? We don't do that. We can't rescue ourselves. 
We don't do that. We can't transform ourselves. See, on our own, we're conformers. But God is the transformer. It's God working through us, working for us. He works for us through Jesus Christ, and that brings transformation. He works in us through his spirit, and that brings transformation. Let's pick up Paul's thoughts a little bit later, chapter 8 and verse 8. He says, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give your mortal bodies life through his spirit who lives in you. He continues in verse 12. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature, not to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. See, the struggle to be transformed into the image of Christ isn't won by gaining control over what is around us. Because we can't gain control of what is around us and what's going on around us. And it isn't gained and it isn't won by gaining control of what's going on inside us. Because we can't control what's going on inside us. Not with our own power. We do what we don't want to do, and we don't do what we do want to do. We are wretched men and women when we're left on our own. But thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have received his spirit. And that's how the struggle to transform is won. It's not by us gaining control. It's by us giving control. By us giving control to the one, to the spirit of God. The one who lives in the sons and daughters of God. We gain control by giving control. And it's really a matter of trust. Who are we going to trust to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ? Well, why not just trust ourselves? My only commentary on that is going to be to paraphrase Dr. Phil. How's that been working out for us? We know that doesn't work. Shouldn't we instead trust the Father and His Son and His Spirit to transform us? You know, we spend a lot of time in our lives looking for relationships. We are made for relationships. We strive for relationships. We crave relationships. And maybe the biggest barrier in forming healthy and loving and lasting relationships has everything to do with trust. Isn't that right? I mean, isn't that really what we're all looking for in relationships? We're looking for another person who we can trust. Another person who it is safe to be in a relationship. 
We're looking for someone who protects. We're looking for someone who can be counted on. It's what we express in our weddings. The kind of relationships we want are those this day forward relationships. The for better or worse relationships. The for richer or poorer relationships. The in sickness and health relationships. Those are the relationships we're looking for. That's the love that we're looking for. Those are the relationships we need. Those are the relationships that we crave. So if that's what we are looking for, if that's what we need, if that's what we crave, why are we so hesitant so often about our relationship with God? Why don't we crave a relationship with the one who always works for our good? Why don't we long for a relationship with the one who transforms us into the very likeness of his son, Jesus Christ? Why don't we hunger for a relationship with the one who justifies us and glorifies us? Why don't we thirst for a relationship with the one who protects us and provides for us? Why don't we long for a relationship with the one who steadfastly loves us? Why don't we crave a relationship with the one who always intercedes for us? Why don't we forsake all others to have a relationship with the one who bought us at such a great price? And that's the second foundational truth that we need to agree on. We have to agree on as we continue our study of sexual relationships God's way. The first foundational thing that we have to agree on is that for servants of Jesus Christ, for children of God, there is a target. There is a standard. And it has to be God's target. It has to be God's standard. It has to be God's way. And here we have the second foundational truth that we must agree on. We also must agree on that for servants of Jesus Christ, for children of God, there is only one relationship that really matters. There's only one relationship that is necessary for us. And there is only one relationship that is sufficient for all of our needs. And that relationship is with God. With Father, Son, and Spirit. It's with the God who created. It's with the God who sustains. It's with the God who, in love, sent His Son to rescue us from our sin. And how can we not respond to a love like that? And how do we respond to a love like that? Well, we respond to a love like that in humility. With humble love, because our holy God, in all his glory, would share his affections with sinners like us. We respond with humble love. And we respond in submission, in submissive love. We respond in submissive love to the all-wise God who works for our good. We respond with submissive love. And we respond with a passionate and an obsessive love for our beautiful and our perfect God. We respond with a passionate and obsessive love. And we respond with an obedient love. 
An obedient love for our all-knowing God. We respond in obedience. And we respond with trusting love. Trusting love for our God who will never betray our trust. We respond in trust. We also need to understand that this is to be our only love. See, if we place any other love above our love for God, if we place any relationship in front of our relationship with Jesus, we're rejecting God's love. We're rejecting his love. See, we are his. And he is ours. We're the bride of Christ. We don't wear his ring. We carry his cross. And any other love that we elevate above our love for him, we need to understand that is adulterous love. He is our true love. He is our only love. See, it's the only relationship that's necessary. It's the only relationship that's sufficient. We need God. We need Father. We need Son. We need Spirit. And God is all we need. So in the coming weeks, as we talk about sexual relationships God's way, we will be affirming that all other relationships are relationships that don't complete us. They don't complete us. We are complete in Jesus Christ. And we will affirm that all our other relationships must not compete, must not compete with our relationship with God. They must not pull us away from our God. And we will affirm that all other relationships must be viewed as a gift from God. And as a gift from God, all other relationships we have must be relationships that honor God. And so we will affirm that our Lord Jesus Christ is necessary and is sufficient for us. He's the way. He's the truth. He is life itself. And only God, through his Son and through his Spirit, can transform us into what we were called to be. So as we near the end, once more, like last week, I want to ask you a question. Is your heart on target? I'm sure almost all of you will remember what Jesus said. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So is Jesus your treasure? Because your heart follows your treasure. That's a truth that Jesus spoke, and it's a truth that we know from experience. See, that's why the common advice... The common advice that we frequently hear, the common advice that says, follow your heart. That may be the most destructive advice that anybody can ever receive. Those may be the three most destructive words in the English language. Follow your heart. Destructive because if our heart's desire isn't in harmony with God's word, then we're following false treasure. And if our heart's desire isn't consistent with what it means to follow Jesus, then we are following false treasure. 
And if our heart's desire isn't consistent with loving God with all of our being and loving our neighbors as ourselves, then we are following false treasure. Our God and His Spirit and our Lord Jesus Christ must be our treasure, our necessary and our sufficient treasure. And if that is our treasure, we will be a house that is able to say truthfully that we follow the Lord. And those may be the three most important words in the English language. So we must choose this day and we must choose every day whom we will serve, whom we will follow. We must choose whether we're going to be conformed to this world or if we're going to be transformed by our treasure, transformed by Jesus Christ into his image. We must choose whether we're going to follow our hearts to false treasure or if we're going to follow the Lord, the true treasure and follow him with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our souls and all of our strength. And we as people who are prone to chase after many other things, we must choose whether God, whether the one who has given us everything, whether he is going to be enough, whether he is going to be sufficient for us. For he is necessary and he is sufficient. Let's pray. Father, we come before you confessing that we are prone to wander. And Father, our prayer is that you will call us back. Our prayer, Father, is that you will lift us up out of our sin, that you will lift us out of any other relationships that draw us away from you or don't honor you. Father, our prayer is that you'll capture our hearts and you'll capture our minds, you'll capture our souls and you'll capture our strength so that we will live as people who understand that you have chosen to bring us into relationship with you, a necessary relationship and a completely sufficient relationship. And Father, that's our prayer through Jesus the Christ. Amen. So now let's stand and let's sing about the love that lifts us up.